Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for March 15th, 2018. This is Slash Home Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and on today's show, we're going to bring you something special, something different, And uh, because news has slowed down. Uh, last June, in June of 2017, I visited the set of Avengers Infinity War, and I spoke to directors Joe and Anthony Russo. You know the Russo brothers as the filmmakers behind the last two Captain America movies, Winter Soldier and Civil War. Uh, they are some great guys, and they're uh, good on the uh, in in the interviews. Uh, you know, interviews on the set of um, of a movie. They are usually keeping things pretty close to the vest. So uh, even though this interview is thirty five minutes, I, I can tell you that you know it doesn't really get into spoilers. You know, they are being very teasery with the the information that they are doling out. Um, but it is conducted uh, between me and uh, I don't know probably. Five ten other outlets that were on set, so you'll hear my voice in here. You'll hear some voices of some other uh, film uh, journalists from the internet. Uh, the the audio is not uh, perfect. You know, I never intended this to be broadcast. It was uh, recorded with my iPhone in June of 2017, and that was before we even started this Slash Film Daily podcast. Um, but I think it is listenable. Uh, some of the questions might be a little low, but I think you'll you'll get the the gist of it from from the answers from Anthony and Joe uh, and they they talk they tell us a lot about the movie they um they talk about how the world has changed since the civil war uh, sort how they sorted out the timelines cinematic inspirations filming on IMAX cameras uh, balancing the tone between you know Guardians of the Galaxy and Iron Man uh, the the troubles of shooting with the biggest ensemble cast of all time crafting character based action James Gunn's role in this production uh, their fantastic four dreams what to expect from Captain Marvel how Infinity War will connect to Avengers 4, the possibility of a death in this film, comic book inspirations, the evolution of Guardians of the Galaxy, how other Marvel films connect to Infinity War, and the importance of the Infinity Stones. Uh, this whole interview can be read in text form on SlashFilm.com. But it's a special to you, the SlashFilm Daily listeners. Here's the audio from the interview right now. Hello. Hi, I'm Anthony Russo. This is Joe Russo. 
So, um, aside from the culmination of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, what is this movie about? Oh, well, we can't. We it's can't really tell you. Endurance. Uh, you know, look, it's a. It's a. Uh, I'm sorry, Pisani. Remind me, are these being held? Yeah. Yeah, they are being held. Okay. Yeah, I just got to remember what I can say. Right I mean, for us, I mean, look, since we entered the MCU as storytellers, it's sort of, you know, we, and we sort of picked up the story with Winter Soldier. It's just we've been carrying a thread forward from that point, a narrative thread. And for us, this movie is very much about how do we move forward from Civil War in a big way? And uh, how do we sort of, uh, what happens to that division between the Avengers and how does that affect them? How do they deal, how, what, and what does that mean when the, the greatest threat they ever, they'll ever face comes to them, you know, in that kind of a condition, in that kind of divided condition? It's a personal journey, frankly, I think for us as filmmakers uh, from Winter Soldier. Um, there were seats set in that movie that I think uh, that we then tried to expound upon in Civil War that then led to Infinity War and um, and uh, you know it's how we feel about the characters uh, as comic book fans the story that we want to see um, um, you know, reimagining uh, um, uh, these characters through a, a very personal point of view uh, so it's, it's not only a culmination of, uh, of the last 10 years of Marvel storytelling, but for us, it's a culmination of our journey as directors through the Marvel Universe. And I think um, having at our disposal all of those characters and, and allowing ourselves to refilter them uh, through the way that, again, that we see the universe, the way that we feel about the characters, and those themes that we really want to bring to the forefront, uh, that's what these two movies are about for us. What were you saying about like, the state of the world? <laughs> it's a direct corollary to the end of Civil War. You know, you're coming into uh, uh, this film um, with the ramifications of that film at the forefront of this movie. How long later in timeline this one? I think we always do everything based on when the last movie came out. So it's going to be roughly two years. It's hard, it's hard to remember where we're at. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. So Winter Soldier was like more of an espionage thriller, Civil War was like a psychological But there's a lot of characters in these movies that have uh, tones that they're bringing from their own franchises. I think it's a very unique film. I don't think there are a lot of movies that have the kind of tone that this movie has because it's uh, a combination of franchises. I don't think we've ever seen that before uh, on this scale. And, and so I think it's got a really unique tone to it. Um, uh, and I think... Uh, um, Impulsive. Uh, I would say it's an adventure film, but it has elements of a, of a you know, we, we were inspired by uh, the 90s crime films when we were working on the script. So it's got a, uh, it's got an energy to it, uh, a bit of a smash and grab energy. Um, and, uh, Almost like a heist genre. Yeah. What were some of those titles specifically in the 90s? Uh, the movies that we looked at, Two Days in the Valley, Out of Sight, 
Um, we were looking for, you know, we always look to movies for an inspiration for the energy that we're looking for uh, or a narrative construct uh, um, that we want to be inspired by. Uh, and uh, um, those two films in particular. It, and again, and for us, it just, it helped, when you are dealing with all these different types of characters and all these different tones that have been established in the various films and storylines, it's like, it's, it's sort of our, it becomes our organizing principle for tone. You know, in terms of what the world is that we're creating, what rules are we playing by, and how does that filter? And every character, no matter where they're coming from, has to intersect with the sort of reality of that tone and that genre. Yeah. I think sometimes people have misinterpreted in the past when we talk about the movies, what, how we're using them. It really is inspiration uh, uh, for a narrative engine. You know, these movies are so complex, you need uh, a unifying piece or a, co a sense of cohesion. And that cohesion can come from a, a narrative construct that you can apply all the characters to. Uh, it's hard to find movies with this many characters. You can look at all one films, uh, which have a tendency to be uh, more verite, uh, or where we found, uh, you know, Two Days in the Valley, which which would have had a narrative thrust to it, and uh, and um, and had an energy uh, that we were looking for. Again, just purely as Something that expires us in the room when we're working on the script. Yeah, I would say and that comes from, you know, those many, many months that we spend with writers Marcus and McFeely in a room, sort of exploring the possibilities of where we can go with the storytelling, where we can take the characters, and then sort of finding ideas that, that most excite us and then starting to shape things around that. Did you guys talk about filming the whole movie with the IMAX cameras? That yeah. process? Yeah. It's, it's been amazing. amazing. They're beautiful cameras. The chip is unbelievable. Uh, it's stunning, you know, it's, it's to be able to work with, we have a lot of characters who are tall, <laughs> uh, unnaturally, helps unnaturally tall, uh, so it really helps with the frame because that IMAX uh, aspect ratio works for those types of characters. And the landscapes are stunning, I mean, there's some really exotic landscapes in the film, and to be able to put those on an IMAX screen, and it's an incredible tool to have as a filmmaker to be able to... Um, exploit that, that scale of aspect ratio. What's it like doing the choir scenes with these gigantic Well, the tech, here's yeah. the, the good news is we've been working with IMAX very closely on this. You know, the, the technology of the cameras continues to evolve. So there's a new iteration of the cameras that is like much more user-friendly than they have been. Because we like, you know, in our style, we like a very active, aggressive camera. And so it's always been important to us to like try to convert their system to something that is a little more mobile and something that camera people can actually move in a way that's not going to just drag them to the ground. So, um, so yeah, we have we have we have a brand new camera that we're using on this called the Aerie 65, which is finally completely uh, uh, synced up with the IMAX uh, needs as well. And it gives us a lot more latitude in terms of what we could do with the cameras. It's an IMAX branded area system. Yeah. So. Going back to the tone stuff we were talking about, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, each of these movies kind of have their own tone in the MCU, but the one that really stands out as the most distinct is the Guardians, and you guys are bringing them in. Uh, what What is the approach with kind of getting them to mix together, and I mean, are they going to bring their own music? They, yeah, they, you everybody know, does. Yeah, everybody, everybody does. Everybody yeah. does. Yeah. You know, Strange brings his own energy. Uh, Red, you know, Ant-Man brings his own energy. Thor brings his. Thor has yeah, a whole yeah. different... Taika has a, a new approach to Thor, as you've seen in the trailer. Uh, and so all of that energy is combining. 
specific to the Guardians. I mean, we we have to find a way to bring those tones in, honor them, but also make them work with what we're doing with the movie. So again, I think the the way that we find the best way to do that is to filter these things through our, our very personal expression of them as characters. And uh, you know, it's not dissimilar to what we did with Cap and Winter Soldier. There is a there's a movement with the characters that uh, towards uh, towards a, a more Russo brothers uh, execution. What kind of role can, did you, would you say they have in this film? Uh, they have a I mean, yeah. they have a great role yeah, in this film. I mean, it's a you know uh, everyone is interwoven in this plot in a way where they have an emotional connection to the story and are emotionally affected by the stakes of the movie. Uh, there's no, you can't tell a, a movie with this many characters and not have each of those characters show up and honor them from their different franchises if they are not motivated to be there, if they are not uh, um, in life or death circumstances, if they're not uh, fighting uh, to save their uh, belief system or their way of life. Thank you. Uh, you talk about Yeah, I mean, you're seeing a scene today. I don't know. Were you out there before you yeah, saw the? Yeah. I mean, look, it's a it's a high character count in this scene. It's not a high. It's not a very complex scene on an action level. But even a scene where you're just talking becomes massively complex when you have a lot of characters. I mean, it's, it takes a, and long a lot of time movies. To shoot. Yeah, because yeah. you have to shoot every one of them. Like they're all special. They're all special characters. They're all important to the storytelling. So or somebody's favorite character. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, but yes, the movie as a whole, I mean, basically how we, the old, this movie is only achievable with this amazing team that we've been working with now over several movies. We've gotten a, an amazing shorthand with one another. We've just to, tuned into one another very specifically on a creative level. So we have a really an amazing, uh, strong, strong team. We spend many, many months preparing. That's really the trick is like you have to, one, one, one thing I love about our process here at Marvel is like we, we have the opportunity with the technology here and the budgets that we work with, you know, we get to make the movie several times before we make the movie, which is, you know, through previs, through extensive storyboarding, through editing it all together. There's a lot of experimentation and that is very helpful, especially when you're dealing with such a complex number of characters and action, etc. So I would say basically like it, the way we work our way through is a lot, a lot of prep work. And we've, we've had the, the, the good fortune to have worked with a lot of the same uh, collaborators on the last three films, our VFX supervisor, Dan DeLue, our editor, uh, Jeff Ford, our DP, Trent Oplock, our stunt coordinator, Sam Hargrave. There is a core group uh, of individuals that we've done a Vulcan mind meld with over, over the last three movies that we are all, you know, they, they, they know how we like to work. They understand the style that we like to employ they think about the characters the same way that we think about the characters. We're all in unison in terms of the storytelling. And so having that support system has made it a lot easier with each successive movie. Uh, certainly that airport sequence in um, uh, Civil War was exceedingly difficult, but all of those people were there with us going through it. And in this movie, I think we have multiple sequences that are even more difficult. Uh, and, um, and and thank God that we, we that we have uh, this, this great unit of, of really talented people working with us. Because it, it does really feel like we've all, we are working at even another level now in these movies, which is very exciting. So it's great. 
Can you talk a little bit about the action? Because when we're, you know, with Winter Soldier, it's your Braid inspired, and like, seeing the evolution of you guys as action directors, Civil War was, you know, another notch up. What is the action in this film going to be? Because that was like more character based. Sure. Whatever. I mean, everything's always got to be character based. I think you really can't, we know we can't, if we're sitting in the edit room, uh, watch a sequence for more than 20 seconds before without a character having a point of view or moving the action forward. I just, my brain just shuts down or I start thinking about my laundry. Uh, you know, the action for us, uh, so it, it's always character-based, but, you know, our, our team... Sorry, and what I was going to say, in, in Winter Soldier, like, in terms of character-based, like, Winter Soldier was so specifically for us, everything in that movie was designed around that version of Captain America that we wanted to see, that we wanted to explore. And it's like, and everything in that film, this, all the stylistic choices just float from that, you know? And then Civil War was a bit of an evolution because even though it was a Captain America movie, we were bringing so many other characters into it, characters that had powers that were different from the range of characters that we were using in, Civil, in Winter Soldier. And now it's even more so, so it's like, as the characters change, as their particular uh, powers change, and the, the nature of who they are, the chemistry, the, the the style of our action evolves with that, you know, because it, again, it has to be specific to character. It's dictated by who's in the sequence. What is the sequence about? What do the characters want in the sequence? Are we trying to create a sense of urgency? Are we trying to slow it down? Is it about tension? Is it about uh, um, uh, um, aggression? Uh, so uh, I think you'll you'll see several different styles employed. Uh, in the movie because the chemistry is different in each sequence and the needs of each sequence are different. Despite, um, despite being uh, you know, a follow-up of you know, Captain America's story you guys are working on, you're also now the third and fourth Avengers movie. So how much do you have to look at Joss Whedon's work and do you have to escalate that? Or how do you sort of look at, look at this as a, as a part of a, an Avengers sort of story? I mean, we look at the way that you would look at writers in comic books. You know, people pick up different runs and they go with it, you know? And if there are things from the mythology that, uh, that, that you are inspired by or you find thematic relevancy in, you go with that. Uh, if there are things that uh, the mythology that, uh, that you, know, you, you, you want to see differently, then you explore ways to execute it differently. Um, so I think, you know, of course, there's a, you know, it's, you know uh, um, uh, there is a, a list of movies that have preceded this, but those movies have been directed by a lot of different directors with a lot of different styles and a lot of different things to say. And, you know, Ant and I have found repeatedly that the best and only way for us to move, to move forward is to receive that information and keep what we like and explore what we like and exploit what we like and tell the story that we want to tell. And I think the audience goes with you when you make those changes or there are things that you discard or same way that you do in a comic run when you're reading it. You go, I'm, I want to see someone else's point of view on this. I got, that was an awesome point of view and I had a lot of fun with that. Now I want to see something else and I want to see, and that's I think what Marvel's done really well by you know, bringing in a lot of different voices to execute their films. I understand James Gunn is working on this mm -hmm. film, so tell us a little bit outside of obviously him working on Guardian stuff, what other um, aspects of the story are you It's been very similar, I think, to, again, like, it's, it's a bit, very much of a piece of how we've interacted with all the voices of the MCU, you know, whether it be Taika or James or... Peyton or Peyton, Scott. Yeah. 
I would say collectively, uh, everyone in the Marvel Universe has been involved in this movie. We're very close with all the directors. We love them all. Uh, we have a lot of conversations with people constantly. We had a lot of talking with Taika because that movie isn't finished and he had executed things on set that we needed real information about tonally about the direction that it was going in. The Guardians 2 movies existed. We had seen both, so we have an understanding of how those characters behave. Um, so I think James is functioning the way that everyone has been functioning. I think it's a nod to James, the EP credit, that you know he, he really helped create those characters. Uh, but you know, as far as uh, um, um, you know, how we're working, we're, we're working in a real collaborative, sort of united artists approach to the movie uh, uh, and, and respect to uh, um, I, you know, yeah. he, hearing people's, where, where people are taking their characters. Ant-Man 2 is just about to start shooting, so we need to keep in communication with Peyton constantly about you know, story elements in that that may affect this. Um, uh, Coogler, I'm sorry, we didn't mention. Yeah, Ryan was Ryan, in the middle of, of course. Uh, uh, shooting um, uh, Black Panther, and he was here, and we had several conversations, met with him many times, met with the crew many times with him, his production design department. Uh, we looked at Fight This from the story. We had a lot of interaction with Nate Moore, the producer. Um, many text messages back and forth with Ryan. So it's really just trying to do the job of managing the universe as it's progressing. And I think here's really where it becomes relevant, mo most relevant, is that if a movie has been completed, there's really nothing else to talk about, right? The movie exists. It's like everything you need to know about that movie is in the movie, is on the screen. You know, that's the, that's the expression, that's the story, that's the experience that we all had of it, and then sort of that's what you need to know to carry that story forward and those characters forward. When, for the movies that haven't been completed, that's where it gets into a tricky spot for us because we want to make sure that we're being sensitive to what's happening during the execution of those films, what's, you know, sort of the process of discovery that they will go through in the execution that's different from what was on the page of the scripts, which we, of course we read all the scripts. So that's really where it becomes critical that we communicate with other people just to understand how things are evolving while we're executing, while they're executing. And what, we need, and what we need from their storytelling to help move us forward. Yeah. I think in particular on this one, that was Ryan. Yeah. Because he was shooting while we were shooting. And there was a lot of cross-collaboration there. And he did, he's done an amazing job with the level of detail that he has brought to uh, uh, the Wakandan uh, universe. And incredible. And we've seen the trailers, mind blowing. Yeah, and um, James were, and Taika because they were both sort of executing and finishing, you know, while we were developing. So and Peyton, who's about to get going, and Peyton's ramping up. So yeah, their story been, elements yeah. shared, and um, so uh, it's that's part of the fun with us. Have the directors of Captain Marvel come by? Uh, uh, no, they're not yet. New, newer yeah. to the yeah. Equation, I'm sure they'll. So yeah, I'm yeah. sure they'll be by soon, but I think they're just getting their feet wet. They're figuring out the story that they want to tell. You know, um, uh, that's a, where Marvel's incredibly respectful. Everybody uh, gets to, uh, uh, you know, have their space, have their space to come up with their individual vision for what they want to do. And then there's a point where it makes sense for us to intersect with them and talk about the storytelling. Now, well, of course, uh, um, uh, uh, be, uh, um, you know, be, be, I'm assuming be meeting with them in the next month or so. Yeah, I wanted to ask uh, about Thanos because we've only seen him a couple times like sitting right. down talking to people or he's just putting on his glove but you guys are really bringing him to the screen you'll be like assumingly like doing things uh so you can talk about the process of bringing that character to life and working with josh i mean 
we're, Josh is an amazing actor, obviously. Um, one of the things about Thanos that we're most excited about is, look, one of the great things about these movies, you know, visual effects technology, you know, is always evolving. And, you know, every couple of years you're able to make a leap forward in some respect and sort of bring something to the screen at an execution level that you haven't quite seen before. That's what's so excited about, about it, whether it be like something like Skinny Steve or, what, you know, whatever the case may be. Well, as that technology evolves, we are able to bring more and more of what Josh Brolin can do as a performer into the fabric and the texture of what Thanos is in a way that we are extremely excited about. And I, I know that he is as an actor, our visual effects team is very excited about. So that's, I think, one thing, uh, uh, just figuring out how, you know, again, having such a cursory view of the character in the past, it's almost like now we get to do the flip side of that, where you're going to see the, you know, every little vein in his face and every little twitch that Josh does. And every, you know, it's a very, very intimate portrayal uh, and performance. How's it working, how's it working with, uh, he's now, we're sharing a lot of actors with a lot of movies because yeah. <laughs> our production is so long you know and, and, and because we have so many characters we don't need them all the time you know what I mean I so if, we, yeah. if we locked everybody up for the time we were shooting we'd shut down Hollywood <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, our approach has always been, it's, it's sort of like, we, we look at the process, and as do Marcus and McFeely, it's like, it's simply the same thing in the way that the Winter Soldier relates to Civil War, in the way that Civil War relates to Infinity War. These two movies will also relate to, you know, all, there is a narrative thread that is connecting these films, but at the same time, there's sort of an independence in terms of what the experience is or where the story goes, you know, it's not, so it isn't a, a true two-parter. I think maybe the two-parter concept came back where, when Marvel decided they they were gonna when they were gonna culminate the MCU, it was gonna be a two two movie deal. But as we sort of developed the movie in execution, it, you know, it ended up being just a sort of like more of a singular two singular expressions. You know, and I think that's just what, what happened there. You were saying earlier uh, that every character is someone's favorite character. Is there anyone in particular that you guys are excited for the audience to react to? Yeah, it's always it's tough because we're going to walk back on set. Yeah. Somebody's going to be really disappointed. We Anthony Mackie. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a specific arc or yeah. specific character that you're like, or even a pairing. I mean, I think, oh, yeah. I think, uh, I think between uh, Ragnarok and this film, I think Thor has a really, really compelling. Uh, uh, I think uh, he's a uh, pretty fascinating character, and I think he's going to jump to the forefront of people's minds as a as a pivotal Marvel character after Ragnarok. Well, we've heard for Ragnarok that like he gets to, the way that Take is doing it is that you know he gets to show off his sense of humor a lot more, which is obviously something that we're excited to see. But is that tone in for his character is something that you're trying to incorporate I think, here? You know, we 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 grew up uh, executing. Uh, the projects that were in a similar uh, vein as Taika's sensibility, Arrested Development, Community. So we jive very well with Taika and with the direction he's taking that character in. Uh, I think that, you know, we, we, you know, we always 
uh, want and desire his filmmakers pathos as well out of our characters and we find that humor and pathos and combination create a more you know profound experience for you and I think that Taika uh, has done that has, has, has done that very well in Ragnarok and we now uh, get to take uh, Thor on a really compelling journey so you, you guys uh, fought to make sure that Spider-Man was going to be in the Civil War are there any characters you guys had to really like we want these guys everybody so yeah. every character yeah. Every okay. care, everybody, you know, all the deals are hard. Everybody's expensive. It's very complicated to put together a movie of this scale. Sometimes it's easier to say, maybe we should just not do it with these guys. You know, I mean, they truly far, are. These, you know. these movies are a producing wonder. I mean, it's yeah. it's you know, there are very few producing entities and producers like Kevin Feige that can pull together yeah. something like this. Kevin so and it's, Kevin it's, and Lou yeah. really. I mean, I, they've outdone themselves on yeah. this one. The Jenga puzzle of actor schedules that we're juggling is staggering and uh, daunting. Has there ever been a conversation with Fantastic Four? We've not, I mean, look, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure we've sat around at dinners uh, and uh, after a few drinks, we've all laughed and said, hey, it'd be great to go after this person or that person. But, you know, we we know the, uh, how the business is structured and, you know, I'm sure Marvel would, would, would love to work with all those characters. Uh, just you know, it's whether who owns them would be one. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking extensively about the idea of putting together different tones and these different stories and all these different genres, when you're talking to screenwriters about the idea that the superhero genre is kind of traditionally shot at the academy, for example, sure. um, but they were saying they believe there could be a tipping point where, like, with the end of the Lord of the Rings, even though that wasn't, you know, like that was finally the movie where they caught up and like, oh, okay, we're gonna give fantasy its due. Sure. I'm curious what you guys' thoughts are on the academy. I mean, here's the thing is we, it's a hard question because it's like we just, you know, we're, we're, we're filmmakers, you know, so all we do is we think these stories are very important. We love them. We find as, them as exciting and as complex and inspiring and heartbreaking. And, and, and we believe that there are real stakes in them, real emotional stakes. So it's like for us, you know, yeah, these, this is sort of like the exactly the kind of movies we, we aspire to exactly the kind of movies we look for as film goes the movie theater and I think that you know you I think you that you find that in the vast majority of the audiences you know the uh, the Academy is you know you know uh, sometimes plays a role of sort of protecting um, protecting uh, films that need more support you know the Academy's been very effective in promoting movies and getting eyeballs on movies that don't necessarily get large audiences and I think that's been one sort of mission of the Academy and one very effective mission that they play in terms of like pulling attention to movies that can use it, you know. Um, and stories that can use it. Yeah, stories that can use it. So th- these movies are so highly visible. I think there's less of a... a an urgency. An ur- yeah, less of an inclination to say, hey, we need to like pay attention. Everybody's already paying attention, you know. So I don't know. It's an interesting question, but... From our point of view, it's you know we, 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 we take this as seriously as we take anything. So. For, uh, for because Avengers three and four are now more separate entities, is there a shift in focus on who the main characters might be, or a shift in style even? In two? Uh, we always we always try to make each film different so they don't get repetitive. I mean, this kind of serialized storytelling again, outside of the Bond franchise or Harry Potter, which was a distinctive story that was told. Harry Potter was a distinctive story that was told. 
over that set of movies, you you have to keep evolving, uh, and you have to keep evolving who's at the forefront and who you're laying the story on. Uh, because uh, I think um, Rita Mortison said it very quickly, uh, and so uh, for us, we we absolutely are very very particular about who carries the ball in this movie and about who will carry it in this film, uh, because each character represents a different theme. Each character has different wants, and uh, that can shape and color and retone an entire film depending on who you're following, especially in stories this big. I know um, there's a ton of comic books in the right. and the Infinity Gems, but were there any particular ones that were influential to you guys when making this? Certainly, the Starlin book was you know, our jumping-off point. Uh, uh, it's, a, you know, it's a it's a brilliant comic, and uh, uh, the the ideas behind it are so large. It's what pushed us to. Go, go for the scale that we're going for in these movies. But we also draw from, Anthony you know, and I love postmodern comics, so we're also drawing from Infinity, newer stuff, and we're kind of combining it all into, again, what's our favorite stuff, and how do we see elements from each helping our story and the story that we want to tell. You talked a little bit about timeline and how this film is kind of very based on what happened at the end of Civil War. But uh, this film takes place, by my count, like five, six years after Guardians 2. Because Guardians 2 is set right after Guardians 1. So how have the Guardians changed when we come to them here? Because they've now been a team for a long time. Groot must be bigger, <laughs> right? They've got, I mean, there have been some changes. There are some changes to the team. Has grown. Yeah. But I think, you know, I think changes are about chemistry and about camaraderie and the fact that they're they're closer and they're, they're tighter and, uh, you know, uh, um, and they've been doing it for a while. So uh, that, that's, if there's any change, it's in that, uh, you know, with that, uh, you know, as they may or may not intersect, intersect with the Avengers in this movie, uh, there is a, they're, 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 they have cemented their chemistry as a team. Yeah, the relationships uh, have deepened. And, uh, you know, and they would stand in contrast to the other teams, potentially. You mentioned that you read, um, or you guys were even stuck to the script for the other Marvel movies. Is there one um, before Infinity War that has the biggest lead-in that we should be expecting? They all lead in in their own way, I think. You know, as far as plot elements that actually drive towards the story again, I think Marvel does a great job of segmenting the movies so that you can have your own experience in each film. Uh, you know, uh, I think... From a plot standpoint, if there's any corollary, Ant-Man 2 probably has um, um, some, uh, some, some elements that stitch in. But we can't talk about what. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say? Yeah. What would you say have the best costumes? Uh, I think Is it, yeah. Is it, uh, where's Pisani? <laughs> can't remember. Have we blown it on Captain Marvel? Is that, is that official? Uh, um, if it's not as official now, I think Captain Marvel got a great outfit. So. She has a mailbox that was solid. Yeah, we saw yeah. the concept art at Marvel Studios. I mean, I just don't want, I just yeah. don't think my phone blown up with 42 text messages. You guys uh, yeah. introduced Black Panther before his movie this time, Captain Marvel before her movie. Like, yeah. how do you guys, what is the different approach between those two characters? How do you guys go about that? Again, again just how we feel about those characters and what we want their expression to be. And then, you know, then when the next writer 
you know, as I'm using this analogy between comic books slash director picks it up, they pick it up where they want to pick it up and they take it where they want to go with it. And I think you, you've seen everybody's, I haven't seen a lot of like, you know, uh, uh, blowback from the way that people retone. I think people get excited. I mean, look at the fucking views for the Ragnarok trailer. You know, I mean, Taika's point of view is really clear in that movie, and people went crazy. And I don't think you're looking at it going, well, geez, that's not a handoff from the, the Dark World tone or from the first door tone. I think you're responding to the fact that it's a reinvention of it. Can you talk about um, the Infinity Stones at one point were just like these objects passed from one person to another, but now they're very personal. There's one in Vision, there's one in Doctor Strange. Like, how is that going to come to play? In a very complicated way. <laughs> it's, uh, look, I, I think that, you know, traditionally in movies there's a MacGuffin. Sometimes MacGuffin is a person. Sometimes it's a, it's a thing. Um, I, I tend to find that, that it's a much more emotional when uh, a person is involved. So, you know, we have a lot of really, we have quite a few MacGuffins in this movie that have different relationships to different people. Doctor Strange. Uh, is a bearer of an infinity stone. Uh, he has been charged with protecting that infinity stone. So there are a lot of uh, um, uh, uh, characters that uh, that will come into direct conflict with Thanos. How much, uh, question, yeah. How yeah. much would you say the stones uh, serve the structure of this movie? Stones serve the structure. Yeah, how Thanos getting all the stones, how much is that? It's it, it's very important to the structure. Of the it, film. Yeah, it's one of the it's the, the sort of bedrock of the film. It's a key yeah. a key driver. We'll, we'll just do one more jot. Sorry. Uh, one of the key criticisms of the MCU has been the fact that we love these characters, but the reason they imprisoned these movies is like nobody wants to tell you them off. Are any major characters going to die in the movie? You asked for it. You asked for it, John. I'm sorry, John. <laughs> We'll say, we'll say this. We like mature storytelling. We like uh, dramatic storytelling. We like intense storytelling. Uh, I, I think uh, we, you know, we, we appreciate conflict and we appreciate stakes. And without stakes, there really isn't a lot of value to the story. Uh, and I think if you look at uh, the Marvel Universe as a whole as a story that's been told for 10 years uh, you can look at this as the climax and the stakes will be higher in this movie than they've ever been times 10 thank you thank you so there you have it, our interview with the Russo brothers from the set of Avengers Infinity War. I do want to mention that at one point, I think one of the Russo brothers says that Captain Marvel is in the movie. Uh, this was recorded a month before Comic-Con, where uh, the brothers uh, clarified that uh, Captain Marvel does not appear in Infinity War. So uh, I'm not sure, you know, what the truth is there. Disney saying, you know, the the uh, filmmaking process changes and evolves. So there is a chance that she was going to be in the movie. Uh, it does basically seem that she's like she's going to be in Avengers 4. But um, I would not take uh, the Versus Brothers comments in this interview as a confirmation that she's going to be in Infinity War because we're being told by Disney that that is not the case. Um, but yes, anyways, if you want to read this 
interview in text form, you can do so on SlashFilm.com. SlashFilmDaily is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Please send us an email, peter at SlashFilm.com, with your comments, concerns, feedback. Uh, you know, We appreciate all your emails. Uh, please go rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, say some good things. Tell your friends. And we will see you tomorrow.